0: Well, welcome to uh, week number four in our series entitled, My Ebenezer. Ebenezer is a stone of help, a stone of remembrance. When we see an Ebenezer, something like uh, Pat has put here on the communion table, uh, it's an indicator that, okay, walk this way. Walk like this. Do these things. Remember what God has done in the past and what God wants to do for you in the future. So if we have looked at three Ebenezer's, three things that point us to Jesus, three things that keep us on the path, the trail, uh, the uh, the uh, cairns that are indicators that people have gone here before, keep going, you're on the right path. And those three Ebenezer's are the first one was the Word of God, and we specifically looked at two phrases from the Word of God, logos. <clears throat> excuse me, the word logos. Honey, could you bring me that water? Thank you. The word logos which means um, the bottom line of Logos is this, thus saith the Lord. Here's a declaration from God. Here's a commandment from God. And basically it says, you know what? If you want the best for your life, do this. Walk this way. Don't do this. In other words, thus saith the Lord. So that's Logos. That's very important for all of us. Excuse me. The second thing, oh, and the other word that we looked at was Ramos, right? Remember that? And a ramos, instead of a general word of God, thus saith the Lord, a ramos is a specific, very pointed word of God to you in that moment or in this moment. So even today, as we were driving up here, as Sherry was driving and I was going over my notes, I prayed for you that you would receive a ramos today, a specific word from God that will just kind of be right there. Maybe it's a word of conviction. Maybe it's a word of blessing, a word of hope, but some word that God would speak to you, a So, the first Ebenezer was the Word of God. The second week was the body of Christ. We are better together. We need each other. It's called a community of faith, not a solo of faith. We are communing together with each other, you know, right? Horizontally. And… We are uh, 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 communing with God vertically, right? So we have that, the body of Christ, we need each other. And then last week, we talked about the importance our uh, Ebenezer was to grow in Christ, to stay strong. And we talked about four things to stay strong, G-R-O-W, God's Word, relationships, obedient living, and worship. And then we wrapped up the sermon last week telling you that the most important part of growing is to have a heart of growth, which is a passion for Jesus. If you have a passion for Jesus, you will have a heart of growth. Today's Ebenezer is serving. Uh, let me set this down. I'm going to put. I hope that doesn't spill on your notes, uh, Jeanette. Okay. So, serving. Stay on the path of faith and faithfulness. We need to have the heart of a servant, like that servant at um, Point Loma Seafood, David to have a heart like that, that, you know what, this is my job, but I just want to be a servant, and that's what God has called us to. Now, Jesus came from this subject of uh, leadership, of strength, and servanthood from a very, very different direction. Because when we talk about greatness, right? When you think about greatness, here's some of the words that you think about, right? Um, Somebody that's uh, a type A personality. Uh, a get-or-done kind of person, right? Uh, someone who leads from the top, a CEO. Uh, someone who's that, that it factor. Remember we talked about it a few, few months ago. Uh, a mogul, a charismatic leader, a dynamic, take-charge, wow factor leadership. That's what we think about when we think about greatness. Jesus comes along and he completely, totally, redefines greatness. This is what he said in Matthew 20, 26 to 28 in the message. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. You say, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you, that includes potlucks, right? <laughs> must, uh, you must be, your, must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who are hostages. He came to give away his life for you and for me. Now, in this passage, Jesus completely redefined greatness. A truly great man or woman is one who chooses to serve, who chooses to bless, to put another's needs uh, right now and put their own needs on hold for the time. Jesus says, this is an Ebenezer. This is the way to walk in righteousness, to serve others. This is a way that others have passed before you, to serve others as I served you. So uh, years ago, I think it was about 10 years ago, Sherry and I were doing a We've gone to, over the years, a lot of marriage retreats, you know, marriage encounter, marriage enrichment, all that, uh, always recognizing the importance of that relationship, and about 10 years ago, we went up to a friend's cabin in Payson, and we did our own little marriage retreat, uh, just the two of us, and we listened, I think it was a tape or a book, I think it was a book, by a man by the name of Sam Ocho. Now, Sam Ocho, at the time, played for the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Now I think he's, he plays for another, I think he's still playing, plays for another NFL team, but he and his wife had this remarkable relationship, excuse me, and uh, he talked about this one factor in their marriage was this. It is my privilege to serve you. That's how they do their marriage. It is my privilege to serve you. Before my own needs are met, it is my privilege to serve you. Now, so Sherry and I had only been married 40 years, so we were kind of like newlyweds, right? So now we've been married 50 years. We got it, we got it locked down. But uh, that is really, right, honey? That's changed our marriage for the better. Now we've always had a good marriage, but that's changed us for the better. What does it mean to serve someone and to serve them fully? So um, I took a group of high school students to a Youth for Christ rally <clears throat> uh, my senior year of college. I was an unpaid youth director of our of our church, and I took these kids to a Youth for Christ rally, and um, I, believing that I was doing them a favor, but I heard a message from God that evening. I felt, for the first time, the call of God on my life for ministry. Now, I'd always been involved in ministry in the church. I'd Been in a local church. My mom said I was there when I was three days old and hardly ever missed after that. And so church had always been important to me, but this was a call to ministry. I didn't have any of that in my family heritage, my history, but God was calling me to ministry. Didn't make any sense. I was about ready to get my degree in engineering. I already had an engineering job. I hadn't yet met, I guess I did. we, We did know each other. We were just going together at that time. So things were pretty set in my life, but God just turned this thing upside down. I said, to be a pastor? And then my first idea was, well, I, I, I could do that Billy Graham thing. That'd be cool, right? You know? Stand in a big stadium, right? And, you know, 50,000 people, you know, watching Dwayne. And, and, and then I realized that, you no, know, he, he, he was calling me to something more like what he told Peter when he said, feed my sheep. And I said, well, that's kind of boring. I mean, you know. <laughs> That's kind of a menial task, right, to feed my sheep, right? And then, and then he also said in scriptures that I'm supposed to die to myself. Okay, I, I guess I can do that. And, and then you're supposed to give your life away. I thought, wow, is that what being a pastor is? I mean, it's not the Billy Graham thing. It's, it's all of those things. And so I, I went home and I began to investigate what it was to be a pastor, found out a lot of things, but along the way, I discovered uh, something that, uh, I, I read something that was called a perfect pastor profile, okay? Now, you need this. Uh, anybody, uh, Donna, anybody else on the pastoral search team here? Okay, besides Donna. Okay, we have like, uh, yeah, Tim. We, so, we have uh, like, what, seven or eight people on the pastoral search team, and they're doing a really good job, and there's an update on the, uh, online, uh, but here's what you guys probably should have had weeks ago. This is a perfect pastor profile. He preaches exactly 15 minutes. Ouch. (laughs) That's my introduction, right? Uh, He condemns sin but offends no one. He works from 6 a.m. till midnight and is always there for his family. He does whatever is needed, including toilets and stacking chairs. He makes $500 a week, wears the best clothes, drives a new car, and gives $600 a week to the poor in missions. He's 35 years old and has 25 years of preaching experience. By the way, I'll just pause here. Sherry got for her birthday from one of her sisters a cosmetic bag that says, I'm not 70, I'm 25 with 45 years of experience. So, so that's what you need in your pastor, right? Uh, he's wonderfully gentle, handsome, athletic, loves to work with teenagers and spends countless hours with senior citizens. He plays shortstop for the softball team and knows how to fix the copier. He makes 20 calls a day at the hospital, and uh, he, ha- he sips tea with shut-ins and is always in the office when needed. That's the profile of your pastor. That's what you're looking for. How are you coming along with that, Donna? Yeah, not, not, not so good. Okay. Now, this profile was put into the form of a chain letter with these following instructions. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send a letter with his name at the top to six other churches who are fed up with their pastors as well. Then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. In one week, you will receive 1,643 pastors and one of them should be just perfect for you. <laughs> Maybe you ought to do that too, so. But I, I will say this. I'm blessed to be your pastor. I say this, but I also mean it. I'm, 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 I'm blessed to be your pastor. I, I've, I was called to serve you for an indeterminate amount of time, thinking it was probably going to be about a year, but it's an honor to serve you. And I'm blessed to witness how you serve each other. And I want to encourage you today to live that blessed life by serving in the church and in the world. And the best place to find the blessing of serving that we know in Scripture, right, is John chapter 13. You knew I was going to go there. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. We're going to look at some verses in that. Uh, if you have your iPads, phones, whatever, turn to John 13. And we're going to take a look at that. Now, the first verse is really kind of sets up the whole thing uh, that, uh, that Jesus speaks to. Listen to verse 1 of chapter 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Now that just kind of sets up this whole scenario. But what a phrase! He loved them to the very end. But to the very end of what? To the very end of his life. He loved them. You know, Abraham Lincoln, uh, in the Gettysburg Address, used the phrase "the last full measure." That's giving your life for something you really believe in. Giving your life for something that matters to you more than anything else. Jesus gave his life, last full measure, for you, for me, for those disciples, for those who would be future disciples of Jesus. Now, look what's happening here. At this moment in time, it's the beginning of the Last Supper, right? So we're talking um, four days after the triumphal entry. So before the triumphal entry, about two weeks before that was the Sermon on the Mount where the disciples were ready to go, get all fired up, you know, let's go and attack Rome and let's overturn the Jewish religious system and let's do all of that. And Jesus surprised them by saying, oh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are seeking after righteousness, you know, and all those things that totally surprise them. But these disciples will still have this idea, led by Judas Iscariot, this idea that, you know what, we can still do this. You know, we could take over this world. I mean, look at Jesus. He's healing people. And he's raising people from the dead. And he's taking care of lepers and, 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 and a woman in adultery. And all these things. And Jesus is amazing. And people are following. And more and more and more people. And now look what happened on Palm Sunday. They threw down the palm branches. Hosanna. Came. They started to recognize you as the Messiah. So let's get this done. Let's be the Messiah. Let's change the world. Let's bring the kingdom of God to earth right now. And so that's what they're kind of expecting after that Palm Sunday experience. And now they're meeting in an upper room. Jesus said, I want to meet you. I have something really important to tell you. Now, all along, Jesus had hinted that he's going to die. But they just, you know how you tell somebody something they you either don't want to hear it or they choose not to hear it, right? And so we've been saying this, the disciples are still talking about, and they're, Peter, James, and John are standing up, and they're arguing over who's gonna be at the right hand <laughs> of God in heaven, right? And so this is going on, people, they're laughing, they're having a good time, a meal. Uh, Jesus comes in, and, uh, and he shows them the full extent of his love. How wide and deep is his love. Yeah, the cross, yes, but he was basically saying, listen, It's not just about the by and by. It's not just about heaven, which is great and cool and all that. But I'm going to die, and I'm going to show you something that matters more than anything else, that you can be raised from the dead. Now, listen to what he says as we continue in the text, verses 4 through 9. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. I'm sure he said it loud enough for all of the other disciples to hear him, right? You're not going to wash my feet. Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Don't you love Peter? Hey, there's a lot of you that can really relate to Peter, because I know I sure do. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet. I'm sorry, I didn't need to read that part, but that's a great part too. So here we have this thing. Jesus served in the most humble manner possible. He got up and began to wash the disciples' feet. What an amazing thing. Now, Peter's embarrassed, doesn't quite know what to do, but uh, Jesus says, listen, this is going to happen, and let me tell you why. And so he served them. And the Bible says that he washed the disciples' feet. Nowhere does it say in any of the Gospels that he didn't wash the feet of Judas. He washed everyone's feet, including the one who's going to betray him. You could say, including his enemy. He washed their feet. And then in verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There's the catch right there. He's telling the disciples... Then, and now, he's telling the disciples, now that you've seen what servanthood looks like, now that you've seen what greatness looks like, now that you have felt what servanthood feels like, I want you to do the same thing. This is how you're going to establish the kingdom. You love people, you serve them. This is how the kingdom of God will come to place here on earth. That word blessed, it means happy. It means this is something that will happen to you if you do what I have done. Because I have served you, you can serve others. Now, I want you to say out loud, I am a servant. I am a servant. Now, here's the hard part. Turn to somebody Not your spouse or not the person you're holding hands with back there, right? Turn to somebody and say, I am your servant. I am your servant. That's a little harder, isn't it, right? By the way, I love people that hold hands in church. Sure, used to always want to hold hands in church. It used to embarrass me, but I love it now. You see, it's not just saying something. It's doing something. Now, what does it mean to have a heart that serves like Jesus? What are some of the traits that we see in this text that we need to have to serve like Jesus? The first thing is this. This is really important awareness. You need to pay attention. Pay attention to the needs of others. Pay attention to your husband, to your wife. Pay attention to your children, to your grandchildren, to your parents, your grandparents. We need to be aware of people's needs. One of the key words in the New Testament that nobody ever talks about is that Jesus noticed. He noticed. He saw something. He observed something. You know, the disciples are going along you know, feeling really good about themselves. Their suspenders are out, you know, and look what we just did, you know. Jesus changed water into wine. We're his, we're his peeps, you know. We're, we're his guys, you know, and we're all cool. And, and they're just having a good time. And Jesus is constantly noticing people. Oh, look, there's a leper over there. Uh, there there's a woman over there that uh, uh, has, is really sick. Uh, there's a person over there that I know needs my love. And, and he was constantly aware of the surroundings, Now, Peter, James, and John, like I said before, they're arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And in the midst of that, Jesus starts to wash their feet. Now, when you're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, it's hard to notice how to serve someone when you're tooting your own horn. That's really a key element to this whole thing. But Jesus showed them how. So, what about you? How do you notice things? Yesterday, um, yesterday morning, uh, I did a, a, a memorial service for a 27-year-old boy who um, had took an overdose. And uh, his, he and his parents, his family was in our church when we were at Hope, and so I, I did the service. And um, Adam was his name. Thank, thank thank the Lord Adam knew Jesus He just really struggled in his life. But Adam's roommate, his name was Andrew, right, honey? Andrew. Sherry talked to him, and what we noticed was that he was way away from everybody else. There was some kind of blame around Andrew because of this drug thing, because he was also doing drugs, and they weren't together when this happened, but uh, so there you could feel kind of some blame around that boy, that young man. And I remember going over to him afterwards and just talking to him and saying, hey, I know you miss your friend and just, just, just. But here's something that most people forget. When you're in a group and we're starting to come back in a group on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock at 1045, begin to notice the ones who are alone, people standing alone. Notice the person who's standing off by themselves. Um, you know, jiggling a baby or talking to a toddler. Usually when they're doing that, they're trying to keep you from engaging with them. But Notice that person who is sad or crying or lonely. That was Andrew. Nobody seemed to really notice that he was there. Sherry did. I did afterwards. And you could just tell that there was kind of a, um, a lightness or a joy that somebody noticed him. So who do you notice? Who are you aware of in your community of friends? At church, certainly, but at home, in your neighborhood, at the store. Uh, I'm always amazed at Sherry. She sees sees things that I don't. You know, if I go to a store, I'm on a hunting expedition. Get what's uh, on the list, put it in the bag, and get out, okay? She's always noticing people and situations and circumstances. That's the way Jesus was, to notice, to be aware of those around him. Now, um, last Sunday, well, actually the last couple of Sundays, I noticed, I've been paying it because I knew I was going to preach this sermon, I've been noticing you, especially here, well, not especially, at this service and also at the 1045 service. How many of you serve the church? I added up at uh, one time what it takes to run grace from 7 a.m. to noon. It Takes about 35 people. 35 people. Some of them are over here, right? Some of them are on the worship team, but there's a lot of them that you don't even see. But they're serving you. They're aware of the needs of the community and they are serving you. There's something wonderful about noticing someone who needs you, who needs some help. There's a second part to this. After awareness, it's about action. Notice what it says. So Jesus got up from the table. He acted. He did. He worked. In John 5, it says that Jesus was speaking and he said, I want you to know that my Father, my Heavenly Father, is always at work, and so am I. Isn't that a great phrase from Jesus? My fa- isn't, isn't that comforting to know that your heavenly Father is always at work? And so are you. And, and, and so am I, Jesus said. That's wonderful. There's always action involved. Jesus got up, he girded himself with a towel, picked up the basin, and began to wash their feet. So when we first uh, started Hope back in 2000, uh, we had a, a strip mall area at, uh, on Almost School in Granada. And there was about, oh, maybe a dozen little retail places there, including Flor- Floridino's Pizza, which is awesome. I think we kept Floridino's Pizza open because <laughs> after church, you know. <laughs> you know. And uh, so we, we, we said, okay, how can we really make it connect with our community? Well, the best way to do that is by serving them. So we would do really strange things. I know this sounds weird, but we were desperate. I mean, we had 35 people. We couldn't afford the pastor's salary, right? And so let, 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 how can we reach the community? How can we tell them about the good news of Jesus? So we started just serving them, going door to door. Hey, we're your neighbors. We're over here in the church. Um, how can we serve you? What? No, how can, how, can we how can we bless you? How can we serve you? Uh, can we wash the toilets in your establishment? Some of them said, yes. And some of them said, no, you can't go in there. And we, all these, we gave them bottles of water. We did all of these things to serve them. And it's just incredible. The whole church, the whole church is 35 people. The whole church was in on serving. And guess what? In a year, we had quadrupled in this, our size in one year. And I think a lot of it had to do because we decided to love our community and to serve them. We took action. We did things. We had a guy, uh, an older guy, he's now with the Lord, Herb Stromquist. And we were talking about, okay, what do we need to do to grow and ultimately to build a building and to... And Herb stood up and said, we just got to get going, right? (laughs) We got to get going. So the conference told us, okay, what you need in order to secure a loan from National Covenant Properties, you need to... Now, this is talking about a really tiny church. You need to have 80 members, an average attendance of 140 and a three-year capital fund drive, Larry, of $325. (laughs) Okay, I can do that by myself. $325,000. Okay, it's a small group. Within six months, we had met all those criteria because the church was all in on serving and loving each other. So the heart of a servant is aware of the needs, and, and based on those needs, acts, does it actually serves people with love. So the next trait that we see in our text is humility. Jesus stood up, and then what did he do? He stooped down. He stood up, got the basin, the towel, girded himself with the towel, and then he stooped down. He got low. Now, the lowest thing he could do is go to the cross and die for something he didn't do. He died for your sins for my sins. And he did that out of great love, a spirit of humility. So, um, one of the first people we got to know in that little church in, at Hope was a man by the name of New Tron, a Vietnamese, a veteran of the Vietnam War. Uh, he flew a fighter jet for South Vietnam and was involved in the war for the whole years. He was um, very um, credentialed and he had all kinds of medals and he would never talk about it but we found out all those things he was the last um, South Vietnamese pilot to fly out of South Vietnam before they were kind of overrun and he flew directly to Oakland California landed his jet and or his plane and um, was immediately adopted by the Oakland First Covenant Church in Oakland. They were doing this because all of these uh, Vietnamese people were being, you know, shipped over mostly coming over, and then different families from different churches would adopt them. By the way, doesn't that sound like something we ought to re-up, right? Right? Okay. So here's uh, Neutron. Separated from his family, his wife and kids, has no idea where, they are, where they're at. And he's adopted by this church. Ultimately, he ends up in Chandler, Arizona, and he's part of our church. I have never known a servant like Neutron. I mean, every time he would serve you, he would just bow like this. This beautiful, this beautiful man. When we knew him, he was probably in his late 60s, 70s, something like that. And, uh, but this beautiful spirit. He would do anything that was needed and so, I wanted to make him the first layman of the year. And uh, when I told him that I wanted to make him layman of the year, he just didn't show up. <laughs> no. Like Peter, you're not going to wash my feet. No, he had such a heart that was so beautiful and the spirit of humility. Now, all of my life, God has been teaching me humility. All of my life. When I was in the ninth grade, I taught sixth grade boys Sunday school. God taught me Humility. When I was in college, I was an unpaid youth director. God taught me humility. When I was 18 years old, our pastor, Pastor Woodhouse, said uh, we went, every, once a month we went to the City Rescue Mission in San Diego, and we did a service. You know, back in those days, uh, you know, in the 60s, you'd have a little choir, and you'd have a sermon, and these poor souls had to sit through this awful service you know, uh, in order to get their food for the night. That's the way it used to work at City Rescue Missions. And we were very, we weren't very good. And so Pastor Woodhouse didn't want to mess with it, so he said, Dwayne, I want you to preach. First time I ever preached. So I study and I work and I work out, a, you know, a 20-point sermon and it's just awesome. And uh, and I get about halfway through it and some guy in the back of the City Rescue Mission stands up and he says, you're full of bleep. <laughs> you know what bleep is, right? You're fall of bleep and 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 I just froze. Because part of me said, I think he's right. I think he's probably right. And Pastor said, just keep preaching, just keep preaching. And and so to this day, I'm humble, and I still have to hear that voice in my head sometimes. There's there's something about being humble. Like Jesus, I will serve you. I will do anything for you. I will wash your feet. I will die on the cross for you. I will do anything because I love you and I have put myself below you. Serving from under, not serving from over. I'm in charge of everything, so this is what we're gonna do. Serving from under, a sense of humility. The last thing that we see in this text is this. A trait of a person who is truly, truly a servant is a willingness to get messy. A willingness to get messy. Peter said, I don't want you to wash my feet. Well, I'm going to. Now, the roads in Jesus' day were some cobblestone roads. Mostly they were dirt. And so when you came into a room, uh, by the way, the upper room was just a borrowed room, so nobody really had ownership over it. There was always a servant there to wash your feet. I mean, that's, you know, if you're picking out jobs that are, you know, what was that show that we used to watch, The Dirtiest Jobs? You know, that was it, right? These grimy, dirty feet, and there was no servant there, and none of the disciples volunteered because they were too busy arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, and Jesus came in and he washed their feet. He was willing to get messy. He sees a group of lepers. Everybody else is a wide swath around them. Jesus goes directly to them. He heals 10 lepers, and they go dancing and skipping off. One of them returns and says, thank you. Jesus said, I'm willing to get messy. The Samaritan woman, half-breed, a woman, a Samaritan, all of the things wrong. She was living a, 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 a sexually permissive life. All of these things were wrong with her, and Jesus went directly toward her. The prostitute that was going to be stoned by the Pharisees. Jesus walks right up to her. Where are your accusers? I don't see them anymore. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. And Zacchaeus, this notorious tax collector, everybody hated tax collectors, especially the Jewish tax collectors because they took money from their people And they kept some for themselves, and give the rest to the Roman government. They hated tax collectors. And Jesus said, "Hey Zacchaeus, come on down. Remember, he's up in a tree. What kind of tree was it? Sycamore tree. Zacchaeus come down. We're going to your house for a meal." And the disciples, and Peter, I'm sure, said this first: "We can't go to his house. He's a notorious sinner. What are people going to say when they see this band of disciples going to a notorious sinner's house? What are they going to say?" Jesus said, "We're going to his house, and we're going to have fellowship with him." Jesus was always willing to get messy. So uh, a few years ago, um, there was a woman in our church, um, Joan was her name, and Joan had this heart for women who had been marginalized, and we had a very as as David started here a very big uh, ministry for uh, trafficked women, and uh, and she found a ministry that the Lord said, you need to do this. So in Chandler, there's this, there's one gentleman's club. Now you might ask, why do I know that? Well, because I used to drive by it. Don't even think that. One gentleman's club, right? It's a strip club, That's what it is. They call it a gentleman's club, but it's a strip club. Joan had a heart for these young women. So she would go into the strip club and she would befriend these girls and she'd take them out to lunch and she Allowed her life to be messy with them and around them and by them. And she was involved in their lives and their finances. And how can I help you? And don't you want to get out of this and find another job? And and I remember one Easter, when we had Easter at Tumbleweed Park, she invited three of these girls to our Easter service. All three of them gave their hearts to Jesus. Now you may not be called to a strip club to do ministry. But Joan was. You know, speak a servant is messy. You know that with your kids and your grandkids, right? You know that with your spouses, those of you who are divorced. You, You know that all of these things are messy. But God says, listen, this matters to me. This person matters to me. And so they better matter to you. Even our enemies. So if Jesus did this, you do likewise. A cup of cold water to the least of these? You know the story. In Matthew 25, we read these words. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. There's that word again, blessed. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. Jesus is speaking these words. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. When you serve one of the least, and the least always includes the ones that we don't like and the ones that aren't like us and the ones that just look different than us and the ones that act differently than us and the ones that have a different political stance than us. Those are all the least. And Jesus says, when you love them and serve them, you are loving and serving me. You want a servant's heart, a heart that is aware of other people's needs, a heart that acts out of love, a heart that serves with humility, a heart that's just not afraid to get messy. That's what Jesus did for you and what you are called to do for others. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we are a church that truly loves to serve A church that loves to give. A church that wants to look like Jesus. And Lord, my prayer is that each one of us would take this word from John 13 to our hearts. We know the story so well, but Father, we just want to serve like Jesus. We want to serve those that we love. Especially want to serve those who are messy that we don't love their lifestyle, we don't love the way they live their lives, but we want to serve them and love them for the sake of Jesus. Because this is what Jesus said, now that you've seen what I do, you'll be blessed if you do the same thing. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.